0: Industrial Design Journey.
1: Hi, and welcome back to another episode of Industrial Design Journey. I'm Evan, and I've been joined with Lane over the past few weeks, just talking to different industrial designers about their experience in the field, trying to inform ourselves uh, going into our senior capstone project. Today, I'm joined by Sam and Elizabeth uh, Goodrow. And um, we're gonna be talking to them about their experience, both ICC grads. And if you guys don't mind, can you introduce yourselves? Yeah. So uh, my name's Sam. I graduated from the ICC in 2014.
2: Um, so currently, I'm a senior industrial designer at LK Manufacturing, um, based out right outside of Chicago.
3: Um, that was a good intro. Thank you. Hi. <laughs> um, I am Elizabeth Goodrow. I graduated 2015, so a year after Sam. And I currently work um, at a architect firm downtown Chicago called Gensler. Um, and I am a brand designer there.
1: Awesome, awesome. Yeah, I, I stalked those companies a little yeah. bit before I... Uh, <laughs> talk to you guys because i wanted to you know have a little bit of a foundation lk is one of those companies that you don't realize how often you see their logo yes. Yep. like they're they're everywhere mm-hmm. yeah um that's pretty cool they do a lot of uh for what i'm familiar with is a lot of the um I forget the name of them bubblers i don't yeah. know for yeah. some reason that came the bottle, came to mind the bottle that's fillers. not a, what i've ever called one yeah what was it bottle fillers drinking yes. drinking fountains yeah. and bottle fillers <laughs> yeah that's yeah. their uh bread yeah. and butter <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, that that's what I that's what I'm used to. And then uh, Gensler does a lot of I know it's architectural. Mm-hmm. Seems like a lot of stuff that they did. Uh, can you go into a little bit yeah. more about uh, the different fields? Because yeah. I understand your role is in brand. Yes. Uh, okay, so I want to hear a little bit about yeah. that. Um.
3: So the so Gensler is a global company. It's one of the largest architect firms um, in the world. And um, so. I found out about it when I was working in Columbus at um, Continental Office. Um, if anyone is interested in, um, just a side note, sidebar, um, learning more about like interning there or whatever, I still am really close friends with the people that work there. It's definitely part of like what I do now, which is the brand um, side of things. But anyway, so... Um, Feel free to contact me if anyone listening <laughs> wants to know more about that. Um, but yeah, Gensler, it's interesting. They're an architect firm, but the brand side is really embedded within the team. So they'll um, pull us in on projects from the very beginning and we'll work on strategy of you know what does this like what's the story behind the design what what's the point of you know if it's a huge building structure or if we're you know renovating an office space or creating a headquarters for um, for a different company um, we'll we'll do a strategy for it from um, what what I'm calling brand but that's really it's it's just kind of the strategy behind all aspects of you know, what finishes are going to be, what's, what's the flow of traffic through the space, um, what, what's the color schemes, the, all of those things are kind of layered in. Um, and then the other part of what I do is like the illustration work that goes into the wall coverings that are custom or dimensional artwork or, um, you know, that sort of thing as well as wayfinding and signage, which is not nearly as fun, but <laughs> yeah.
1: The, these are all words that we have heard so far. Okay. We've only done really one project where we uh, dove into that a little deeper yeah. uh, That was taught by Gabe Pyle, which I believe okay. he was a professor yeah. for you guys when you guys were, uh-huh. awesome. awesome. Uh, well, I realized I got a little bit ahead of myself. I got excited uh, for a second <laughs> there. <laughs> but uh, how did you guys learn about industrial design? I'm curious because everybody has a different story and I always love hearing that.
2: Yeah, so I started out at Cedarville. Um, so I went to Cedarville because they're um, Christian college and they had a good engineering department. So I started out in the engineering department, um, enjoyed it, thought that's what I was going to do. Had no idea what industrial design was, had never heard of it. Um,
3: you skipped the part about the class that you weren't doing well in. <laughs> I did.
2: I, okay, there was one class, that, it was a programming class because yeah. I was in for electrical engineering, which... Yeah, no, So i I'm just teasing. It was a computer yeah. programming class that I was awful at. Math, math was okay, but this was just a whole nother another level. Yeah. Um, so anyhow, I was in the dorm one day, and um, I was friends with Trayton at the time, who's the professor at, a, at the ICC, and I walk into his room, and he's just sitting there sketching, and I was like, what are you doing? He's like, oh, homework. And I was like, that's not homework. Like, what, what are you doing? And he's like, oh, it's industrial design. And I was like, oh, what is that? So anyhow, he told me about it, and I was like, wow, that sounds really interesting. And so, like, I thought about it more and more, and eventually I was like, this honestly is a lot more exciting than engineering, and seems like a much better fit. And so, um, that was kind of where I got introduced, and so it was already, I was a year and a half in to uh, my engineering degree, and I was like, you know what, that's not for me, so I switched, and then... Mm and at that point the ICC was still like brand brand new it only been around for three years so we were pretty new to the class and we went up to the campus and we're like wow this is awesome and so mm-hmm. that was kind of um the story
3: I guess mm-hmm. um and then mine was so my dad is a professor at Cedarville University He is a communications professor, and so, um, yay, free tuition for me if I go to Cedarville. So it was (laughs) kind of more like, um, yeah, so I went to Cedarville because of that. Obviously, still grade school, you know, um, all of that, but it was obviously a first choice for me, easy choice, Um, and I knew I was really into, um, you know, art and design kind of didn't really know what what it was all about Um, and i was taking class with terry chamberlain which i'm sure a lot of people he was he was an advocate for the program and um yeah he just mentioned it to me and you know was i think he even went up to the icc with me and steve Nealand um and kind of like introduced us and um you know took us around and i loved the idea of being you know, in Columbus and being in this, uh, you know, different environment. It was, it was more of like a studio than like a classroom, which I loved th- that and not being lectured at, but actually like working with your hands and, um, you know, being in that environment. I don't know if you guys want to see the other building, but it was just like this beautiful escape where you could just kind of create and, um, you know, be in this little bubble, um, learning and growing in your design and stuff. So yeah, I was sold when I went up and talked to JD and he gave his inspirational speech and I was like totally sold on it. And
0: yeah,
3: <laughs> so, yep. Yeah.
0: yeah that, I think like that old building, I was there just a couple of times, but, um, I went one time for the car show and that was a really, oh, okay. like, a really special place for yeah. sure. Yeah, um, and I like at that point going there. I didn't know that they were moving, um, but you know I was always a little disappointed that I didn't get to spend yeah. Any time there.
3: <laughs> yeah, we were in Columbus um, just this past week or two weeks ago, maybe, and we drove by where the ICC is now, and we were like, oh, it's like you guys are like having a corporate job, but it's kind of cool, like you're getting the experience in, so very cool.
0: Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Um, So Sam, you uh, like you started out as an engineer and this is something that like we've kind of heard from a couple of different designers as they start out as engineers and um, then they they find that industrial design just is more inspiring and it's a little more uh, creatively engaging. So what attracted you to um, like your position at LK and how did that relationship start? So I guess I'll kind
2: of rewind a little bit. So I think just looking back at my experience, like those classes, those engineering classes really were beneficial to my career and really helped out. Like I had a much stronger foundation on the technical side that if I wouldn't have had, I wouldn't have landed my first job that I did. So my first job, I was, so when I was in the ICC, I was a co-op at Honda R&D. So I worked, um, it's right outside of Columbus in in Marysville, Ohio. And so then after I graduated, I went and worked there full time as, and my my title was design engineer. Um, Now, was I an engineer? No, but it was a good, because of the position, like we were designing car interiors. Mm -hmm. And so it was a a good balance between mixing engineering skills, uh, ID skills, and really creating like, Without that technical background, I wouldn't have done well there. And without the industrial design background, like that actually helped me because a lot of the uh, engineers there—they're afraid to sketch. They're afraid to uh, get ideas out quickly, even if they—they're terrible ideas. Just being able to get your idea out, however you communicate it, they're afraid to. And so it was a great first job. And so then it was um, a little bit after about four years there. Um, I was ready to kind of move on. I like the car industry, it's just, it's so big. And I, it's, you're, you're one of thousands. And so I wanted to be a little bit more hands-on. And so, um, Elizabeth at that time had the opportunity to, or had the offer to work for Gensler. And so we're like, you know what, it's time to make a change. Let's, I want to get more into traditional design. And so we, um, she took the job at Gensler and we moved to Chicago from Columbus. And at that point, um, I had quit Honda, and I didn't have a job lined up. And so I was like, okay, what am I going to do now? So I started doing freelance work, and thankfully, through recommendations and contacts and applying to different places, I started getting large uh, corporations. Um, Like, I did a little bit of freelance work for Gensler. I did a little bit of freelance work for a company called Cornelius, who Mm -hmm. makes, like, those... Um, like freestyle coke machines they, they're they mm-hmm. one of the yeah. manufacturers that make that and I did one for a marketing company mm-hmm. like for about two years
3: yeah and all of those experiences like, like just looking at his career being at Honda and having that kind of technical side and like really detailed perspective and then doing freelance where it was like it could be anything he could be photoshopping some lady on a poster or you know he could be working on an exhibit for, you know, a, a major exhibit in Chicago or wherever. So having like, all, like he went from something so specific to having such a broad sweep of different, you know, even different industries, different projects, different sizes and all of this stuff that, you know, his portfolio opened up to such this wide that um, I think, you know, was part of the reason why you were someone that, they were interested in
2: right and so then like like i mentioned so cornelius they which are now called marmon food services they're a subsidiary of berkshire hathaway um so they like i said make soda machines for pepsi and coke and so that was kind of got me into the the beverage world and i saw uh lk which again like you had said they're everywhere but you don't Mm -hmm. really know the name and so i saw them looked them up and applied and i was like this is really interesting i mean they're doing a lot of the same stuff and they're growing and they want to do um, much more innovative type products and so like I don't know if you saw Smartwell on there were there anything where you can have have home hydration or hydration in the work and they're adding mm-hmm. uh, sparkling water flavored water enhancements anything and so um, at that point I applied and they were interested in me and I took the job there and it's mm-hmm. just been a great a great fit because it mm-hmm. Helps bring all the skills that I learned, trying to like, what, basically round me out so that way I have technical, so that I have more creative. Because it's really you're as a designer, you, you can. There's such a huge gamut of what you can do, and so some jobs you're gonna be very pigeonholed and doing the same thing over and over. Some jobs you're gonna have. Um,
3: Right, so many clients or so many products or...
2: So anyhow, that's kind of how I ended up where I am today, and um, I really enjoy it there.
3: Yeah, and, you know, one thing that as we're, as we grow and, like, get older in our careers is, like, realizing how important it is to have, you know, someone above you, a boss or whatever, that really, like, invests in you, and, um, you know, his boss is, like, great and really helps kind of, what is that word that people use? Mentor? Like, yeah, no, but like, I don't know, like just give you the opportunity or yeah. like the, uh, the empower you as they use that buzzword all the time at my job, but to um, like, you know, take on different roles and in, um, in leadership
0: and stuff. So yep.
1: mm. it's like that trust relationship, yeah. a little bit, Yep. you know, that's, that's really valuable. And that's something I've, I've started experience more recently, um, I love hearing about what you guys are doing right now and seeing how far you guys have come and I feel like sometimes as uh, industrial design students it's easy to look at where these uh, seniors and graduates ended up but not look at you know the path that it took mm-hmm. to get there because that didn't just happen you didn't just overnight become where you are right now it took right. it, it was an evolving experience right. so I want to I want to go a little bit back in the evolution back to your senior capstone Um I want to hear a little bit about what you guys... I see you laughing, Elizabeth. I just, I just
3: looked at it the other day, and I was so, like, shocked at how it looked. You've
1: <laughs> come a long it's, way. I've
3: come a long way. I was the, you should have asked Jim about this, but I don't know if he gives out awards still, but I was... What is it? The most b- Improved. Most Improved Designer.
2: <laughs> yes. Or,
3: no, it was yes. like Most Miles Gone, or something a little nicer than Most yeah. Improved,
1: but, yeah, that was me. Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, it was good. Well, sure. Though. Let's just start off with yours. Okay. I want to hear how yeah. uh, hum- humbling of an experience <laughs> this was in retrospect. Yeah.
3: I mean, you know, it, it really was a God thing, my capstone. I, I didn't really know what I wanted to do or what interested me. And um, I almost did one with the Columbus Zoo. And I went there and I saw and it. was It was kind of interesting. And I was just kind of like, I don't want to just do a capstone. It's like... I want it to be meaningful. I want to have that passion behind it because, you know, if if you're passionate about something, then you're going to do way better at it and you're going to have the motivation to, you know, take it to the next level and push yourself. Um, So anyway, so I worked at Local Roots um, in Powell. I don't know. They're still there, I think, but really cute little restaurant. I um, worked as as a busser there. And, um, so I was like the lowest on the, the, the totem pole and, um, but I kind of became friends with the owner and she knew that I went to the ICC and, um, she randomly asked me if I would help redesign her restaurant and, um, you know, how could they improve it? And, so I was shocked and she was wanting to pay me for it, which I was also shocked by. <laughs> um, Even better. yeah. So yeah, it was really great. I mean, she, it was, it was, you know, keeping the same facade or the, like the structure, the bones of it, but like what are some materials and finishes that could help kind of create this, um, new, this brand that they're evolving into. Cause at the time they were, you know, they're still kind of growing in, in who they were as a business and, um, yeah, it was really great. Um, I did, you know, sketch work for it and um, kind of some 3D models and um, finishes and palettes and created, like, what their beer garden could look like and all of these different things, like the outside patio. And um, But the, I guess the most shocking part to me when I looked at it was um, the graphic design level that I was at was really really low (laughs) and um and and part of it is because you know at the ICC that's not really part of the curriculum or at least it wasn't when I was there but um it's you know the design principles that you learn are very much applicable to the presentation of it and I think like especially as you guys are getting into it the that presentation is is so important to showing your process and like creating like this whole narrative um, of what your capstone is is going like you could have a beautiful renderings and like beautiful shots of your you know coffee shop or whatever you guys are gonna do but if there's not like that clear narrative in the you know portfolio perspective I think you know it, it could fall short and right. so
2: it's like what what yeah. like a pretty picture is nice but why are you doing it why does it matter? Why Why should anybody who's looking at this care? Right. So, and ultimately, like, people... Because design, like, every... There's so many designers out there. Like, what's going to make you different from them is how you think. It's yeah. not going to, like, any... A lot of people can come up with really cool ideas and really beautiful things, but it's what is the meaning behind it? That's what sets you apart, and that's what's actually going to be impactful.
3: Mm-hmm. And that's what was missing from my capstone. <laughs> to go full circle for you. Yeah. But, you know, I think that that's something that, you know, I want to make sure that you guys know and are aware of because when I see portfolios of people that I'm interviewing now, I, that's what I'm looking for. And if they, can, if they can show that to me, then that shows me way more than if they're an amazing designer or have beautiful renderings or whatever. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, Sam, can you tell us a little bit about your uh, senior capstone and what that process looked like? Yeah,
2: so mine, um, I had no idea what I was going to do. I was like, okay, I like to design things. I like everything. And yeah. so I was like, what? everything is not the answer. So it was, um, there was actually um, a guy who was in the ICC at the time who... Um, I ended up being, he he and I tag teamed it and we did our capstones together. And so Steve Lewis and I, um, there was a a friend of a friend who had a small startup company called Completely Royal and they did um, men's belts, high-end belts, belt buckles. And so this uh, one guy who was was just a startup, he was looking to kind of add more products to his collection and it was just, the company was maybe two to three years old. I don't, I don't even know if they're around today. But um, they wanted to add um, like men's grooming grooming kit. So it was called like a dock kit, and starting to sell that. And so it's very similar to like Harry's or Dollar Shave Club. And so with um, when we first came with the idea, when somebody said, "Hey, this guy wants a couple students to do basically free design work for him," I was like. And then I knew that I could have another person to bounce ideas off of with. I was like, hey, count me in. I mean, that sounds great. I I didn't know what I was going to do. And um, honestly, having another person to work with was huge because in areas where I was lacking, he would help pick up and we were able to kind of talk through ideas and plan. And um, so we ended up designing like a a dock kit, so a, a men's travel bag. Um, So we did that together and then he designed a toothbrush and toothbrush handle like a high-end one that you would have a replaceable head and then I designed the razor part just like you'd see for like Harry's or Dollar Shave Club or um, Mm -hmm. Art of Shaving and so um, And then we like I said we presented it together, but um, Overall, I think it was a good experience. I, I think the the actual Concepts and the actual work we came up with it wasn't anything new but I guess the, what I learned the most is really just planning for the project. Like, what are you trying to achieve? Like, ultimately, like, because it was so open and he didn't, the, the guy who we're doing the work for, he didn't really have a big direction. He was like, oh, yeah, I have this idea. And so it's trying to take his idea and then put it down to like, what are we actually going to do? Because we have to make a, a grade out of this. Like, what, what is the scope? What is the goal? And I think, mm-hmm. even today, looking back now, like that is one of the most critical and key things of a project. Like you can spend hours and hours designing, but if mm-hmm. you don't take that upfront time of setting your scope, setting your parameters, what are you doing and why, then mm-hmm. ultimately, your project's not going to be a success. Mm-hmm. and so I, th- I think even today, like yeah. I deal with it every day it's project planning and getting it ready because there's all these things and whether you go corporate world or freelance or like consulting you're Mm -hmm. always gonna have people with expectations and so you have to ask them like three times is this what you mean is this what you mean because people don't know what they want and so you have to kind of tell them and but you don't want to go through all the work designing something that they're gonna hate and that they had a total different idea
0: yeah yeah well, Sam, product planning is actually not something that we've talked about with anybody before. Um, and so you mentioned that having the goal in mind is crucial to product planning. But like, what are some other steps that you take when you're trying to like outline a a, a project that you're going to work on? Yeah, so
2: I think it starts off with um, ultimately, like again, going back to the why, like why are you doing this? And sometimes it might be, well, because my boss told me so, <laughs> but ultimately, like that's that's not enough. Like you as a designer, you want to have meaning, and so you need to find it. If if they're not giving it to you, then you need to find it. Um, if you're lucky and you are able to have like try to search out and identify why, then that's huge. And so really, really, a lot of it starts with like research. So identifying what are those key valuable problems to solve for consumers. So you think about, what is a big pain point? What is a what is something today, and it could be for a business, it could be for um, the mass market, it could be something with a process. Like, I mean, you, you could find problems anywhere, but is that problem widespread? Is it a big need? And then ultimately backing up with research to say, yes, all these people struggle with the same thing. There's no good solution on the market maybe there is a solution but we can improve on it and so starting there and then from there kind of scoping out like what's the what am i trying to achieve am i trying to create a new product um is this product or whatever i'm trying to achieve is there going to be just dependencies and synergies with other future projects or maybe something's going on with the company and they have all this technology but they're using it one way and you're like you know what i see a great way that we can solve this problem and use it another way. Like, uh, I I give uh, 3M as an example. So every year, 3M has all these scientists and they have this big event, basically, that they bring everybody together and they share all these technologies that they came up with that they have no uses for, but somebody, they they don't know what to use them, but they're like, somebody's gonna use them. And -hmm. so they share it with each other internally and then they come up with these crazy Mm
0: -hmm.
2: ideas that like, little pieces of, or a little glue that can hold planes together, and Mm -hmm. all sorts of crazy things that you never hear of. But um, they have, I I went and I had the chance to tour their office, and they talk about this three-foot rule of like, 3M has anywhere you are in the world, within three feet of you is a 3M product. And and so it's like these little things that... Mm -hmm what are those dependencies and what are those things that you can build on so you're not starting from scratch or plan in the future that you can say, Hey, I can make four generations of this. And so Mm -hmm. at that point, once you have the, the backed up of the research, then that's when you start to ideate and you say, Hey, this is, this is where we're going. And then again, you take it back and put it in front of consumers and say, this is what we heard. This is what we see. Do you like it like what are your reactions and then you're gonna go back again to the drawing table Mm -hmm. and fix it because you're not gonna get it perfect but that's right so we try to do does it always happen no Mm -hmm. (laughs) but it's trying
3: yeah and then on the like on the flip side of that there's also like the whole you know the brand to like stay true to that or shift it based off of you know what you're what you're hearing what your research is and then developing that it those you know what that mission is what the what the vision is for those um those goals that may you know these this is all like the fluffy stuff that you hear you know like oh you know our mission is to you know be sustainable and have you know all these good vibes or whatever it is you know and (laughs) and um and so like keeping those mission values brand pillars strong and also you know seeing how those relate to your um your customers is part of that whole it's huge because it has to start with that or else you're just kind of willy-nilly out there with like like, you know i you could just have any product out there
2: right yeah like you look at a like a big company like apple and There's certain products that we use that Apple's not gonna be that company. That's not part of their brand. So you have to look at the brand. And even like with Elizabeth, with a lot of her work, I mean, you have, she has big clients that they work for. Like they're redesigning like LinkedIn's offices or Cisco and other big corporations. And they try to bring the brand into the space Mm -hmm. because ultimately like they want their space to be unique to their people. Right. and what are even from the local area like what mm-hmm. is what does the area have to offer and bringing the community in and so making it more than just uh, right. here's a cool thing on the wall or here's right. a really sweet design
3: space right and like if you if you just go with like what's trendy you know like oh I could make a really cool trendy headquarters but it could be anyone's cool trendy headquarters and in five years it's not going to be trendy anymore. So how can we make something that feels so personal to whatever that is, whether it's a company or your your clientele or a certain part of the market that you're really trying to grasp and, and you know, have them become obsessed with your product or whatever, like with Apple. Um, but I just lost my train of thought. So there's that.
2: Well, and I guess I'll I'll finish thinking about like when you hear, um, like we look at big innovation and breakthrough companies and products and you think about, um, I am, Jim Stevenson's probably said this before. I'm sure you've heard it about like Henry Ford, the, the answer to designing the next, um, to get from point A to point B is not to design or the, the, normal thought line would be let's make a faster horse but henry ford you he made a car and so you look at companies like uber or netflix and that really disrupted the industry and there are iterative steps that got them there but they're looking for needs and for opportunities that people haven't tapped into yet like they're not just coming it's not out of the blue it's just thinking bigger like what, how can we do this in a different way and leverage existing technology or even um new technology
1: yeah yeah and i feel like yeah for instance like netflix they looked at the entertainment industry and the the way that they revolutionized it was just Mm -hmm. looking at what people really wanted they Mm -hmm. wanted entertainment they didn't want a better tv service they just wanted good entertainment then that's what kind of evolved the brand on its own Mm -hmm. because that's the goal that they're pursuing outside of an industry right and so kind of in that vein lane and i we we've mentioned to you before we talked that um i'm kind of leaning more consumer electronics Mm -hmm. lane's leaning more coffee um or anything else uh i don't want to put words in your words in your mouth (laughs) but (laughs) as as we um start off kind of starting to go more specifically into the industry that we want to do. Um, how, how do we find the right problem? I want, because I want the problem, initially I wanted my problem to exist outside of, of a specific industry, and then mm-hmm. as I did more research and went deeper into the problem, I would kind of discover an industry um, that would suit the, that need well. Mm-hmm. But that's a little overwhelming for me, at least at this point <laughs> in my design right. career. Like I can't, mm-hmm. that, that's, a, that's a lot of effort and work. So... What's your guys' kind of thoughts on how one should Mm -hmm. approach a problem or finding a problem or finding the parameters to build your project around?
3: Before you answer, I see that you're about to. Um, I just want to commend you on your thinking so far. I think, you know, even just thinking so broadly is a really – you know, it's beyond your years. At least I, I feel that way. So that's great that you're starting to think of like, what's the big problem, and then thinking about an industry. And I mean, that's we've talked about like our million dollar like, uh, like the soap daddy things, or like Scrib the taco yeah. scrub daddy, or like the taco yeah. plate, or like all these different things that people just stumbled upon because they were their minds, their eyes were open to things outside. So if not for your capstone, like I. I think that way of thinking will take you far and allow you to see not just here's a problem, find a solution, but like finding something that wasn't even a problem like Uber wasn't, there was no problem yeah. getting a taxi, but they thought bigger and they thought, well, we can, we can mm. solve this even though it's not a problem. So, yeah.
1: Yeah. I appreciate
2: that. Yeah. I would start with, well, I, I think, so if you're, you said you're looking at like uh, consumer electronics. So, I mean, I think oftentimes it's difficult because you say, well, what problems are out there? So you start with a market, like what you have right now. You start with, okay, what are all these things? And you could do like a competitive evaluation and you say, what are all these things going on? So you would say, okay, I'm going to look at TVs, look at phones, look at um, every all these big broad stroke of electronics. And then... I mean, I, I think another way you could do is even just going on like Amazon and going through reviews and say, like what are the complaints? What are people seeing? And I think it's gonna be hard, especially as like thinking back to like when I was a student, at some point, it's almost easier to um, pick a product, pick a more narrowed focus. And so you say, okay, consumer electronics, and then I'm going to look at phones and just start researching about phones. Like what do, what do people like, dislike, mm-hmm. um, what are problems? And so from there, the more narrow you go, the easier it's going to be to find a specific, um, I guess, complaints and mm-hmm. pain points. Because mm-hmm. you don't most likely like in, when I was in the ICCA, like I want, to, I want to have this huge project and I'm going to solve all the world's problems. But ultimately, if you can just do one small thing way better, mm-hmm. then that's a huge success. It's not about changing everything. Like if it's mm-hmm. a, maybe a, maybe it's a zipper. Like I, I think about, I don't know if it was Nike, but they had a magnetic zipper so that it allowed for people who um,
3: had it. In right and had guy. like
2: cerebral palsy so they mm-hmm. could zip up their sweaters with one hand because they're shaky and all they did is they added a magnet on each side so you get it close and it connects it and you can zip it up mm-hmm. and that's brilliant right but it's not trying to solve everything so I, I guess my advice is pick a market pick see what's going on there pick something that's interesting and then go even mm-hmm. smaller
3: mm. I think and and I agree with all of that I think also like to think like what I would say to myself now to my you know my younger self is like this is the one time really in in your life that you get to do a like an in-depth project on something that you're passionate about without the constraints Mm -hmm. of what the client wants you to do um so you know maybe take like an introspective view of yourself and like write out what what is it that you're passionate about and also like take the time because you guys are coming up to you know being out in the world and having to find jobs and all that what do you want your you know your your employer to see and and what's that like if you are interested in consumer products maybe you could go look on linkedin and see who works for whatever consumer product company and like stalk them go to their go to theirs Mm because you can see like who works for a company and then usually if they're like a new person they'll have a link to their website and look at their portfolio and get you know get ideas of like you know what what got them hired what was important to whirlpool or whatever i don't know what what where you're thinking but um because i think reference is it's so easy it's so easy to get reference and to see it like what's out there already and um it's not copying there's it's taking information and growing from it and learning from it as long as you're literally not copying which you know some people <laughs> do but um because even I still I do that when I'm putting my portfolio together I ask all of my co-workers send me your send me your Websites. Let me go. I'll stalk people on LinkedIn all the time and see what their resume looks like and how you know what's working better than what I have and keeping pushing yourself, pushing that limit is going to be really good for. Mm-hmm.
2: And I guess the the one last thing that I'll add, just thinking, because um, I said focus in and narrow down, but I guess the one caveat I would say is don't go too obscure, because I know some students. At, they pick this and you're like I've never heard of that like what is that (laughs) and when you go and you get the chance to talk through your portfolio to Mm -hmm. um a potential employer and they you have to explain what it is then they're not going to buy into it as much but if it's something, like, that everybody knows and everybody has. Then they're like, oh, yeah, I have that problem, too. And right. people can relate much easier. Mm-hmm. And so i that's the one thing that I would say. It's just if...
3: You want it to be relatable. You want
2: it to be relatable and you want it to be um, known as much as possible. Like, you, you can obviously try to make, like, a unique name for it and a unique um, take on it. But... Mm-hmm. Sometimes the simpler and more straightforward mm-hmm. option is better. Most
3: times. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that, I draw a lot of inspiration from comedians, ironically. <laughs> but they I love the way that they tend to see the world just in this wacky lens, mm-hmm. but that everybody relates to. Because there's mm-hmm. a little bit of truth in all those jokes. And so when you're talking like that, I'm like, that's the same way a person would talk when they're talking about writing a good joke. Mm-hmm. Right? It's something relatable. A lot of people that you can point out that they can connect to right. really quickly. And it's kind of funny how that transfers over. Mm-hmm. But that's just something that <laughs> oh, I have passionate it's, about. It's that's true. really cool. And
3: <laughs> maybe maybe that's your angle for your capstone. I mean, it's, it's unique. So.
1: Yeah, who knows? Who knows? We'll see where it takes us. That's why it's called Industrial Design Journey. <laughs> right, right, exactly.
0: <laughs> well, Evan and I were talking about um, this on our last episode that we did. We may or may not put that out. But... um what we, we were talking about was what's well, already. Uh, <laughs> what we were talking about was how a product aligns with the the consumer base on a binary, which is uh, the the convenience customer and the enthusiast customer. So we were really interested to to see what you guys thought about that and like what makes uh, what makes a good enthusiast product, what makes a good convenience product, and like what is the interaction between those two different markets Hmm.
3: I think it goes back to brand for me like the ones that are enthusiastic about it the brand has really like brainwashed them into thinking that it's the best (laughs) and I think you know because it's the same thing it's the same stinking product and it's just that it looks beautiful and that you feel like a connection to it whether it's the sustainability story or that they help children education that they're you know against global warming or they're pro whatever you know that yeah. people make a connection to it and and it's it's crazy to me how easy it is for people to either do like a boycott on a brand because of their values And, or vice versa, like a buy caught or where they'll like, you know, with everything that's going on with Chick-fil-A, for example, there's a lot of tension with the brand. And so there are people who aren't because of the values, because of the brand won't go there. And then vice versa, people who will only go there because they want to support and they, you know, that is an enthusiast. Mm -hmm. Um, Even though you can get a really good, Chicken sandwich at McDonald's or Culver's or whatever.
2: Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think the brand, the brand is who is essential, and then also ultimately who are you targeting? Who is the market? Like at LK, with new products, we look a lot at um, like who's our market. So we identify what life stage are, are they in. So you have um, within like millennials, Gen X, Boomers, you have. Individual life stages, it goes beyond just their generation. Like are they a single family? um, Or a family with two kids? Are they a First-time homeowner are they a second-time homeowner? Um, all these different things impact their purchase and Decisions that they make maybe they're high-income renters. And so you based on their life stage where they're at and where they're going You can also identify like is this going product be something that they would buy Mm -hmm. and so i think
3: and then they put it in all the stores that you would go to as that person and so it's Mm -hmm. it's like right in your face and then you're you know getting addicted to it or whatever right
2: and and honestly based on your life your lifestyle and those life stages that's going to help determine are they an enthusiast are they um
3: like a convenient right a
2: convenience person do they are they a tech savvy person are they like and you can Mm -hmm. it's terrible but to say but you can lump people together strategically based on their the things they buy their life stages their habits and that in itself starts to create this user profile and you having a user profile who you're targeting with name age occupation, habits, all these things influence on ultimately how you would sell and create the best design product for them.
3: Mm -hmm. And the convenience is like, it's, it's really about your placement within the store, right? So it's, it's more of like the three-dimensional planning of a store or the product placement of, you know, how they're setting up their, caps on the ends of the, the different aisles and if there's going to be extra lighting or it's it's all about like that you know catching grab right. sort of experience and so mm, yeah.
2: mm-hmm.
3: again it is about sort of about the branding because it's like how can we orient ourselves best to be a product that people impulse by or right. will you know try us even if they've never had it before or, or you know or maybe they're pulling yeah. from tradition and they're saying like I'm going to put the Altoid, Altoids at the front because you know it's such a household name and product and my grandpa you had Altoids and so like it's this whole thing and they their brand is very like with the traditional way that you open it and like how it comes with that wrapper and the whole textures like there's so much that goes into that and so that you know they place it there and you you would want to buy it
2: right yeah and again it goes back to like at the beginning when you plan and you scope out your project like who do you want to be so who's the brand what are you doing it and why and ultimately those answering those questions will help shape your design like you look at like dewalt there's a reason why like you buy all their tools and it's in a very like kind of just a nice cardboard box with printing on it kind of rugged it's not as fancy looking because they're not targeting the latest and greatest they want your everyday man who's gonna go or woman who's gonna go and (laughs) be like that like a real hard-working tool like they're not it's again it's and that's how they have their colors and their packaging and it's all related
1: yeah i i find myself just like super obsessed with branding that's another thing from a young age i've loved i just Like, I still remember, and I was pretty young at the time where the original MacBook Air came out, and this is a little bit more than branding, it's also marketing, but when they just pulled it out of a manila envelope, Mm -hmm. and just, like, set it on the table. like When when things, like, strike a nerve like that, Mm -hmm. that's always really interesting to me, and then that one commercial Mm -hmm. is still affecting people today. Mm -hmm. There are now people that are... 50, 60 years old that saw that, you know, back when they are buying their, like, you know, second personal laptop that saw that, that now they're like, hey, this worked for me, this worked for 10, 12 years, I'm going to stick with it. And um, that also goes a lot back to psychology. And uh, you mentioned earlier, uh, Sam, about how thinking through a process is so important. I just said a lot of different thoughts together. My mind is going crazy right now. There's <laughs> so many thoughts from what you guys just said. So I'll try to get it back down to have... a question. No, um, how do you guys... Exercise, like exercise your thinking part of your brain. I know like design is thinking all the time, mm-hmm. but in my personal experience, the more things I read, the more products I interact with, the more I kind of educate myself, the better thoughts I have. What do you guys do on a daily basis that kind of broadens your horizons or opens mm-hmm. your eyes up to new things? What do you listen to? Everything. I just want to know. <laughs> well, <laughs> you go I, first. <laughs> I'll
2: say first things thing is surround yourself with other creatives whether that's at work mm-hmm. whether that's some outlet whether that's um a podcast a podcast right. exactly, exactly. <laughs> like mm-hmm. you are a filter and everything you see and hear is kind of going through it. and you're gonna you're probably not gonna absorb all of it but mm-hmm. you're gonna absorb some of it and so we we talk about this all the time but half the things people say are just reiterated from somebody else. Like you hear yeah. about all these buzzwords and it's like yeah. everybody says the same thing. Everybody says pivot or do this yeah. and that and it's like it gets so overused, but ultimately it started from someone and then they just copied it over and over again. And so I think surrounding yourself with a creative outlet or mm-hmm. other um I mean, it's great right now for you guys, like, bouncing ideas off each other, mm-hmm. saying, like, hey, what do you think of this? Like, get feedback. That's all i say, because you're going to learn from others, and that's the fastest way to learn is from others. Um, but beyond that, I'd say...
3: Yeah, you know, if you're more of a, like, a visual learner, you know, even just going through... Pinterest or designinspiration.com or whatever it is, and just seeing what's out there. There's also like, I get a email sent from, oh, what's that one? They're just like fun, inspirational, local Chicago. I think I had you sign up for it, but I'll send you what it is. But basically, it's just like local designers or muralists or artists, and they're just doing you know different things around the city, and it's just kind of sparks because it's local so you have that kind of um, that's that take to it but reading uh, asking questions reaching out to people like you know you guys are doing with your podcast I think just kind of having your eyes and ears open and being ready to absorb it is yeah is gonna be good yeah I
2: mean there's so many design like websites like DZine the hands like all these things that mm-hmm. you can follow and If you have the time, great, but ultimately, like, you're going to get busy, and once you get in your career, you're not going to have time to just constantly look through all these things, so you're going to pick and choose, Um, but having one or two creative outlets where, like, maybe at lunchtime, I'm just going to surf the web and look at this, or maybe at lunchtime, you just need a break, and Mm -hmm. so you're just going to let your mind rest, because you have to absorb everything you hear, and so... I think it's it's a little bit of self-reflection and just also learning like you're gonna grow throughout your career and who you are today is not who you're gonna be in 10 years but it will influence who you are and so it, it's a like just like you guys talk about the industrial design journey it's a journey There, your whole career is a journey
1: yeah that's that's something big for me is uh i i uh so I have a few different thoughts to that I was thinking about when when you were talking. Um, I think it's so interesting that so many other fields have, like, kind of sections, like there's different studies of psych- uh, psychology, there's different studies of science, and in design it's just kind of all lumped together into one thing of, like, design, and I'm saying like, kind of design philosophy is kind of the way I put it. It's kind of just all like, oh, we just go through eras and we keep on changing mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Do you guys see any? Well, and I'm also obsessed with timeless design. Those designs mm-hmm. just stick out and are iconic and are still beautiful today. Um, what are your guys' uh, key uh, key parts of your design philosophy that you look at when you're creating something? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just curious.
3: Yeah, I think like when you were talking about it all being lumped together, it's. I think yes, there are design principles that are you know across the board you can use for whatever it is whether it's like the hierarchy or the white space or you know the simplicity taking away until you get to that root of whatever it is um so like you know keeping it simple stupid that's what i tell myself all the time because it is it's like you there's so much and there's all this going on around us but if we can just take it away and get to that that you know the the core of it is where um, I think that that's the the sweet spot, and so that's what I try to tell myself when I when I design.
2: Yeah, and you, you brought up the point about like how we, there's all these different eras, and you look at good design that we say okay, that's timeless, and it's good because it follows those principles. It has balance. It has tension. It has a hierarchy. It has mm-hmm. contrast. It's it's going to be unique in its own way, and so regardless of how you execute it over time and generation, if you follow those principles, maybe it's not your style, but you can still appreciate good design regardless of style, regardless of your take on it, Mm
3: -hmm.
2: at the end of the day it goes back to what is that true design principle, does it meet those following criteria, and if it does, it's probably a good design.
3: Mm -hmm. And like going off of that, what I've really loved about, you know, what the people who are above me tell me when they like, you know, react to my work or give me feedback is their feedback is not based off of personal opinion. Like they if they don't like the color yellow, but my design is completely yellow. They're not that's not what they will comment on if it follows the guidelines that we've set for ourselves for that design so you know is it is it following the rules of um you know like all the things that we've said before like the white space or the design is you know simple and the client brand color is yellow so that's why we're using it then those the things that they'll comment on is to push the design further in the direction Using those principles instead of just saying, "Oh, I don't really like that curve," or you know, it's it's just it's not I'm not feeling it. So yeah, yeah,
1: that's the worst thing. I feel like you can
0: hear right. It's like (laughs) it's just like it's not your opinion that we want. (laughs) We want to know. Yeah.
3: So yep. Yeah,
1: I can I can relate to that absolutely.
0: Yeah, I think like you guys, I think uh, maybe without even knowing it you are coming back to this like central thing of designing for what is best, what is best for mainly the the company and the brand and then also the consumer. Yep. Uh, you're saying things like keep things simple and that, you know, means that you can communicate the idea better to the client, but that also means that the client can communicate the design easier to the consumer. Um, and I think like, that's something that evan and i have kind of like run up to and and like run into when we talk to a lot of different design professionals is like just design with people in mind and so like mm-hmm. especially with you guys you, you guys both work kind of in a more corporate setting where you're uh you're not selling to everyday people all the time um and i think like that takes an even uh, an extra amount of, like, mental flexibility and, uh, you know, extra diligence to think through how it's going to impact the end user, um, and so I'm really grateful for that perspective because, you know, it shows that no matter what your setting is, even if you're not, you know, designing, a, you know, a Snickers bar packaging, like, not that commercial, mm-hmm. um, that these design principles apply and are you know even more important and more uh have to have more weight and p- be planned out ahead of time and all that for sure yep um so elizabeth i i'm really interested something that i've kind of uh been thinking about is you know whenever we're in school we work on a lot of products that you know are a little bit more um, consumer uh, mm-hmm. th- that, you know, normal everyday people use and you have a unique position of working with brands mm-hmm. and trying to make sure that the brand flows consistently. So how do you find that that relationship differs between, um, between something that is more consumer and something that mm-hmm. is uh, big and brand and commercial?
3: That's a good question. I think, you know, because I haven't been on the other side of the spectrum of designing for, um, you know, your everyday. It's it's very much for a specific audience, um, but it comes with its own, you know, constraints or things that we have to think and keep in mind. It's like we can't like when I. OK, so I'm working on LinkedIn and we're designing the Detroit headquarters. Um, and everything that we do has to follow certain certain things. So it has to be very much centered around Detroit, and it has to be very much within LinkedIn's brand language. So um, any illustrations that I create, any custom materials that I want to use, or colors that I'm interested in in applying has to be filtered through LinkedIn's, um, you know. eyes or um, you know their, their brand and so it's very very custom in what we're doing and when I first started working on LinkedIn about a year and a half ago or two years I struggled I struggled to to fit myself into their world because I it was new and it was like creating a custom illustration for you know Thirty to forty conference rooms is is a lot, and to un- like to understand like, you know, the line weights. Even like if we're getting into the nitty gritty here, like the line weights and the textures and what materials are sustainable versus you know like using an acrylic, which isn't. And you know that's really part of their um, brand to be aware of that, as well as working with local artists and trying to, you know, create this world for a company like a LinkedIn or what have you um, is really fun and really exciting, but it does take time to kind of insert yourself into their, their language style.
2: You have to, um, we call it like often, like you have to look through different lenses. Like, so the consumer lens, the brand lens, like how are they seeing this? And that is, because that will help dictate how you end up doing something and often like you had said it takes time like oftentimes it's it's reading about it studying them like learning you know it's not just overnight just gonna say oh yeah i read their mission statement i know who they are as a Mm -hmm. company and um i think depending again going back to if you're gonna go corporate or consultancy like consultancies often they they know brands and they do that for upfront legwork but at the end of the day like whoever like that company is if you're in a corporate setting you're going to know the brand much more because you've been there for mm-hmm. five ten years and so the more you can get to know the brand is like a consultancy the better you can design products for that company i think that's huge
3: yeah and also mm-hmm. like just it's it's so crazy to look even just you know a a year ago to today to like whatever is in the future how fast our um skills can you know enhance and like like for example with my illustration and like i was just like i don't know how to use the pen tool like i'm gonna be screwed on this project (laughs) and then to be you know that's when i was more of a junior designer and thinking about things and now it's like we can just crank them out, and it's it just becomes second nature to think within those that that lens of you know who your client is. But just like mm. with this podcast, I think you guys it's going to be so fun for you guys to look back on this in a few years and just see how much you've grown, and um, you know just see where you were at this moment in time.
0: Yeah, for sure. So what what so. it sounds like to me, uh, I'm, I'm just trying to put this all together. I want to make sure I'm, I'm getting it right. So what you're saying is you're also, you're almost, um, personifying the brand and that's how you keep them in mind. That's how you like keep it. The personal connection right. to the project is not, oh, well, how is the, the end consumer going to experience this? But how does like the, the personification of this brand experience the, the project that I'm working on?
1: It's- That's really interesting. The kind of theme I keep on hearing is kind of like the ideal. How everybody's kind of searching for the ideal. Like for this company, they have an ideal of who their person is, and for LinkedIn, they have an ideal Mm -hmm. for what their brand is. It's like this higher aspirational thing that kind of everybody's achieving. The person buying the product sees them in a way in Mm -hmm. that product. That product reflects them a little bit, in like the same way a space should reflect them a little bit. It's. It's this really interesting thing because that's not always who we are. We're not, mm-hmm. as a consumer, from a consumer perspective, that's not always who we are. But the way a product makes us feel mm-hmm. can actually change our perception about ourselves and our day and everything like that. That's really interesting to me mm-hmm. because that kind of goes to, like, the psychological aspect right. about understanding. It is all... Understand-
2: mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. You- yeah. And it's stuff I don't understand. I'm reading up on it mm-hmm. because I find just the human experience human nature all that stuff is so fascinating mm-hmm. um i feel like it, it's really huge for um design good design in general it's just understanding human mm-hmm. um, human nature in general for sure um now as as we wrap it up because we've taken enough of your your time <laughs> already um i have so many questions i would still love to ask and maybe i'll still ask you guys some other time if i can yeah, reach for out sure. but what this is going to be a, a, a tough one uh what is your biggest regret with uh, your college experience at the ICC?
3: It's so funny because we were just talking about this the other day.
2: <laughs> Do you remember your answer?
3: Yeah, I just didn't care enough. I just, I wasn't, I was, you know, I, a stupid kid at the time, I feel like I just was immature and, you know, just, I didn't apply myself as much as I could and it took me to the very end to start really applying myself and... Um, I think just, like, being in the moment and realizing, like, this is the only time you're ever going to have this again. And, and, like, living with, I don't know if you guys live together during the year or you have roommates. But, like, that's, like, have fun and celebrate that kind of time and bouncing ideas off of each other. And, um, like, staying in, in the studio longer or, like... You know, whatever it is that you're passionate about most within your, um, you know, your studies is, like, ask that question. Do that last sketch or, like, read that article and, like, apply yourself and not just coast on through. But, yeah. That's
2: a good one. I would say, and I'd say I'm still learning, Um, but I think looking back you don't know anything <laughs> as as a student and even as you get older you think you you like you get through and you're like oh, i've got four years under my belt i know everything and somebody says something you're like oh that's not right then four years later you're like man they were right and so i think being humble is huge being <laughs> humble, like don't get a chip on your shoulder like, yeah you have to be strong and an advocate for design and you have to Be proud of the work you do because people are going to knock you down. But at the same time, you need to be humble and you need to listen to criticism. Listen to feedback. And this is something
3: you're still learning. Oh, for sure.
2: (laughs) But I think, like, looking back, like, just getting people's opinion, making sure, like, collaborate as much as you can. Get as many people's feedback. Even if it's your friend, your mom, Mm -hmm. whoever, like... They have a different perspective than you. And you're never going to truly understand other people's perspective. But the more you just listen, mm-hmm. which is hard.
3: Yeah. And the empathy factor, especially like, you know, not to like stereotype between men and women. But there is a stereotype. And sometimes stereotypes are for reasons. This one particularly, yeah. you know, women tend to be, you know, more empathetic and and, and are um, you know drawn with their feelings or what have you and like going into a product like that enthusiast they're they're buying with emotion and just you know keeping that in mind while well. yeah i think that's something you you've been learning because
2: again like i said i started out as like a design engineer very technical and i wish i would have had somebody to say hey emotion is key to every single product that's sold there is emotion within it because people are emotional beings and so like there's there's a balance between technical and that fluffy side and if you lean towards one one way or the other you need to constantly check yourself and Mm -hmm. say hey what about the emotional side or hey what about the technical side because that in itself just asking yourself that question will be huge which I yeah did, it rounds so, you out still learning and never mm-hmm. even thought of that when I was younger.
3: Yeah I mean like think about like toilet paper there's even an emotional connection with certain brands or like Charmin ultra <laughs> you guys remember you'll yeah. always hear the song when you're like you know buying whatever <laughs> everything has an emotional connection even if we don't think think it does in the moment mm.
1: hmm. yeah and, and to uh, Sam's point that's something I absolutely struggle with I'm the most confident, insecure person you'll ever meet. (laughs)
2: That's a good way to put it. Which I feel like a
1: a lot of industrial designers can relate to that. It's like you care a lot what everybody thinks, but you hate their opinion. That's so funny. (laughs) Yeah. And That's that's something I really struggled with this past semester, and I'm still constantly struggling with. But recognizing the struggle is a huge part of it. Because even if in the moment you say Mm -hmm. the wrong thing or feel the wrong thing or fight the wrong way, if you go home, or wake up the next day and you're like, you know what, that was that was stupid. That mm-hmm. that's half the battle. Then as we right. you know, grow and mature and that, that starts to change. But yeah, that that, that was really insightful. That might have been my favorite favorite question. Good job, Evan. <laughs> um, I, I just I patted myself on the back. <laughs> but um, I love those answers. How about that? Yeah. Not the question. I love those answers. Those are those are great. Um, mm-hmm. Lane, do you have anything anything left?
0: No, it seems like a great place to wrap up. Uh, thank you guys so much for your time. We really appreciate your experience. Um, You know you guys are a little bit further down as far as like ICC grads you know you have a little bit more experience under your belt um and it's been really great to like glean some knowledge from that uh and we enjoy so much talking to to you guys
3: yeah um so same with you guys too I mean like hearing your perspective and even just like we get so in the weeds with design talk that hearing like oh what about like you know comedy or you know whatever different things that are different topics that still relate to um what we do it it opens our minds and it's mm. just as um exciting for us to talk to you guys and hear you know what you what you guys are up to as well
2: yep yep it's a journey like just like your your title the industrial design journey <laughs> like i said
1: earlier it never ends it'll it keep doesn't... going yeah, mm. yeah. <laughs>
0: Uh, That's good to know. Yeah,
1: yeah. I want I want to thank you guys so much for uh, your willingness to talk to us uh, and help us, you know, with this learning process. And uh, that wraps up the I believe this is the eighth episode cool. of Industrial Design Journey. Thank you so much for talking to us. Like I said a billion times at this point, and thank everybody <laughs> that uh, got to this point in the podcast. That's pretty amazing. Um, and we'll be sure to be back soon with another one. Peace. Thanks, guys.
2: Bye. Thank <laughs> you.